0: Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God And that is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them.
1: So I have to say, there are sometimes where we come to a passage in God's word that it makes me a little bit nervous. And I'll tell you why it makes me a little bit nervous. Because passages like the one that we just heard this morning are just these monumental scriptures, these scriptures that communicate such truth and have such depth to them that I get a little bit nervous because I want to do justice to what God's word has to say. And so that's why I made this a two-parter. So in anything that I missed this morning, we're gonna pick it up next week. You know, when the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth passed away recently, there were a lot of stories that started to be told uh, about her experiences that people had with her, and one individual who had a, a very unique story that he shared about the Queen, some of you might actually have, have heard this, was a man by the name of Richard Griffin, he was also known as Dickie to the Queen, he was the Royal Protection Officer for Queen Elizabeth for um, the last 12, 13 years of of her life he served the royal family for a long period of time i want to show you a picture that's him up in the corner um protecting the queen but he went with her everywhere that she went and when she went to balmoral up in scotland which was her vacation home she would go with him and when they were up there in northern scotland um, the queen often liked to go on hikes and have picnics just out and about in the hills And one day in particular, Dickie tells the story that he and the queen had gone off on a hike and gone to a very remote portion of uh, the area. And while they were there, he said, sometimes, you know, you'd have hikers that would come by um, and engage us. And on this particular day, they thought, you know, we're so far out here, nobody's gonna stop by and, and see us. And yet there was this American couple, these tourists that were on vacation and they were on a hiking vacation and they came across the queen and they came across Dickie. Now the thing was they had no idea that it was the queen uh, that was there picnicking that day and I just want to read for you what he says and, and what, what took place. The, the tourists came uh, towards them and they began to make small talk with Dickie and the queen and one of the tourists asked, um, do you live in this area? And the queen said, well you know, no I don't live in this area, I actually live in London but my family has a vacation home up here understatement of the year right and the guy's like oh interesting and she said yeah actually we've been coming up here ever since I was a little girl so for over 80 years and when she said that Dicky said the, that the tourists eyes got really big He said well did you know the Queen has a place up here <laughs> and and have you have you ever met her and the Queen without missing a beat looked at the tourist and said well, I've never met her, but Dickie here has. <laughs> and because of their relationship, and because Dickie knew kind of what the queen was doing, he's like, I'll play along with this. The American tourist immediately looked at Dickie and said, You've met the queen, what's she like? And Dickie smiled and he said, Oh, well, she can be cantankerous, <laughs> but she has a good sense of humor. And the guy at that moment took out his camera turned and he gave it to the queen and he said, would you take a picture with me and this guy? <laughs> Again, the queen without missing a beat said, absolutely. And so she took a picture of these tourists with Dicky. But Dicky, realizing that he couldn't let this moment pass, he said, oh, well, you need to have the picture taken with this gal as well, you know? And so they said, oh, sure. And so they took a picture there with the queen and then they left and went on their way. They had no idea that they had just spent time with the Queen of England. And when they got out of earshot, Dickie said, the Queen turned to him and said, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when they show those pictures to their friends back in America. (laughs) She says, I hope someone tells them who I am. I just... I I find the story just very amusing. It's a great story, but I think about that American couple. I think about those tourists, and I think about the moment at some point in their future when they get those pictures developed and they look at those pictures of something that they had experienced in the past. And when they look at those pictures, they don't necessarily think something of it, but hopefully somebody will come to them and say, do you know who that is? That's the Queen of England. And then can you imagine that moment? They will realize we've met the Queen, something that happened in their past, something that they experienced, but they didn't have a full understanding of it. But can you imagine that if somebody does tell them what it will be like for them to rehearse that conversation and the story that they'll have to to tell. I thought about that story because today, here in God's word, God's word is gonna do something for us. It's going to come and it's gonna talk with us about something in our past. It's gonna share with us what our past was really like in an attempt to help us understand our past so that two things might happen. Number one, that we would then be moved to worship and praise of God. And number two, so that we would be better equipped to engage the world around us. This is a section of God's word that rehearses your past and my past for the purpose of, well, like somebody looking at that picture later saying, do you really understand what was going on back there? Do you really understand everything that that took took place? Because if you really understand it, if you really then embrace it, it's going to change your outlook in the present, how you engage God and how you engage the world around us. And so to that end, I want you to open up to the passage we heard read this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We're going to take some time to look at our past. And so, are you ready to learn? Are you ready to grow? We're going to get as far as we can go this morning. And we're going to start it here in verse 1. Look at what Paul says in our text. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. As I said, Paul switches here from the way he has been talking, to draw our attention to the fact that everything that he's about to address is something that takes place in our past. He says right here, and you were. And then he goes a little bit further, in which you once walked. This is a past tense that Paul is bringing us into. He's bringing us into things that took place in our past. And what is the the first thing that he says we need to know and to remember about our past, it's very simply this, in your past, you were dead. When it comes to remembering our past, the Apostle Paul says, you were dead, we were dead. For most of us, we think of death as something in our future, yet Paul says, as he's writing to believers, as he's writing to us today, death is not just something that's in our future, death was something that was actually a part of our past. Now, since we're all currently alive and breathing, and I can't think of a time in my past when I was actually physically dead, what is Paul talking about here? Why does he say that we were dead at some point in our lives? Well, it's because most of us think about death purely in organic terms. Um, We think of death as something that only happens to us physically, yet the scriptures talk about that death has a far broader meaning than simply just referring to the organic death of some material or of a person. What is the opposite of death? The opposite of death is not being what? Alive. Alive is the opposite of death. And so what Paul is saying here is is that in some sense, you were at one point not alive. But in what way were we not alive? See, death isn't just about the fact that something no longer exists. Death can have a broader meaning than that. What Paul is saying is that there was a sense in which at one point in our past, we were not alive. It was just last week that I took my car in to get a new battery, and when I brought it in to get a new battery, I got a new battery because as I described the condition of my battery, I said, my battery is what? Dead. Well, my battery was still there. It still had all of its components. But it wasn't functioning the way that it was intended to to function. It wasn't producing the electricity that was necessary for my car to run. And so we say this all the time. My battery wasn't organically dead, physically dead. It was was not functioning the way that it was intended to function. So it wasn't, in that sense, alive. Well, Paul gives us an indication of what he means by the fact that we were dead. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once You understand those two words, you begin to understand what Paul is saying about the kind of death we had once experienced. That word trespass is a word that simply means in the Greek a false step. Involving either the crossing of a known boundary or a deviation from the right path. So Paul is saying that we were dead in that we had deviated from the right path. We had crossed a boundary that we weren't supposed to cross. We had entered into something that was not good for us. And then he also says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. The, the word sins there is a Greek word harmatia, which is typically used to refer to the missing of a mark, a falling short of a standard. So when Paul says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, another way of saying this was, and you were dead because you were off the path and you failed to meet the standard. So what path were we off? What standard were we not meeting? Which way had we deviated from? All Paul is doing here is actually painting for us a picture of what Jesus, or I should say, what God said to Adam and Eve would happen when they disobeyed him in the garden. He said that the day that you eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely what? Die. And they didn't physically die, but they did die. They were cut off from God and the life they were created to live. When he says that we were dead, what Paul is describing here is that at a time in your life, you and I were off the way. We missed the mark. We were cut off from God and the life we were created to live. Paul is not saying that you were not living, but he said you were dead to God, you were cut off from Him. The source of the life you were intended to have, you no longer had. Paul is saying this was your past, this was my past. Going back to my poor car battery, A battery that no longer holds its charge is considered dead because it's no longer able to function as it was made to. And so Paul says, there was a time in your life when you were not able to function the way you were created to live. And that was because you were cut off from God. And there's one thing here about Paul's choice of the word death that's so important for us. Because the natural world and the Bible tells us something about death. Whether we're talking about physical death or as we see here, this spiritual death, this being cut off from the life we were made to live, I want us to understand that both the natural world shows us and the Bible clarifies this, death in any form is a condition that cannot be reversed without outside intervention. When the Bible uses the word dead, and it refers to death, it is referring to a state of being that cannot be reversed, that cannot be changed apart from outside intervention. Are you tracking with me? In The Princess Bride, the movie for those of you that know that, there's a scene where the the hero dies and and they and they try to to save him and they bring him to this healer and and the healer says he's only mostly dead do you know this part right there's no mostly dead there is life and there is death and someone can't go from death to life without outside intervention a neighbor of mine and i were having a conversation one time i don't even know how we got on the topic i think we're maybe talking about motorcycles and he said i had a motorcycle one time but then i got rid of it after i died I said, let me stop you right there. You're talking to me. And he had a smile on his face. He said, yeah, I got rid of my motorcycle after I died. I'm like, do tell. And so he went on to explain that he was driving on the freeway and the car in front of him stopped quickly. And so he slammed on his brake and a semi-truck hit his motorcycle, sent him through the car in front of him. And when the medics got there on the scene, he was such a bloody mess that they didn't even feel like they could do anything for him. One of the EMTs went over to him and saw that he didn't have a pulse. And so they left him there. His heart had stopped. He was dead. Another EMT group came on the scene and and not, realizing that the others had already just been like hey we're taking care of the other people we just left this guy because he doesn't have a heartbeat they immediately came over to him he had been in that position for at minimum three minutes at that point and someone came over to him they put the paddles on him and they restarted his heart my neighbor for those three minutes was what dead and he said listen If they had just left me there, if someone else hadn't come and said, let's let's give this a try and shocked his heart back to beating, he would have been physically dead. Death in any form requires outside intervention. And that's what Paul is saying. Our condition was cut off from God, unable to live the life we were created to live. But as Paul says here, you wanna know what it means to ultimately still be alive even though you're dead to God? What he does here next is, is he says there were three ways that although we were spiritually dead, it does not mean that we are inactive. Just because someone is cut off from God and unable to life they were intended to live, it doesn't mean that we don't live. In fact, he says you went on living, but you went on living in three ways. The first way that he says is in the second part of the verse. Look at it again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. There you go. He's not saying that our spiritual death made us inactive. Instead, it made us those who followed the course of this world. What's he talking about here? Very simply, what he's talking about is this. Every single human being was created to ultimately follow God and to think God's thoughts after him. You and I, we like to fancy ourselves as independent thinkers. We like to have the idea that that we create knowledge, but listen, because God is the creator of everyone and everything, all knowledge comes from who? From him. Well, if you're cut off from the giver of all knowledge, if you're cut off from the one who tells you what is a value and what's not a value, what is right and what is wrong, if you're cut off from him, by our very nature, we want to make sense of things. And, and so what happens is in the absence of God informing our thoughts, what Paul says here is then the world informs our way of thinking. What Paul is saying here is that we followed the world's way of thinking thinking when we were cut off from god we accepted what the world structure what the what the predominant thought of our culture was in guiding how we thought about the things in our lives if you don't have god to tell you which way to go if you don't have god and and his knowledge to ultimately inform what you value and what has meaning and what has purpose something else steps into the void. And in this sense, Paul says, without God, the only way that you can make sense of the world is by believing what the world says about things. And you and I know this is exactly what happens every single day. Because if you were to go out into the people who have no relationship with God and no knowledge of God, and you were to ask them, what matters? What's of value in this world? You're gonna find that people, by their thoughts and by their actions, are drawn to power, are drawn to wealth, are drawn to possessions. These are the things that matter. These are the things that are ultimately important. These are the things that we need. Your value and your worth, rather than being ascribed to you by God and us finding our value and our worth in Him, the world says, no, you only have value and worth if you look a certain way, if you have a certain amount of resources, if you have a certain job. Church, every time you see that played out, that is the world's influence here. That's the the thoughts of this age coming to bear upon us. In the absence of having God to look to, to give order and meaning to things, we accept what the world has to say about it. And the the results of it are really, truly disastrous. Paul says, there was a time in your past where all you were left with was to follow the thinking of the world. As I said earlier, we we think that we're independent thinkers. The, The truth is, we're all sucked along in a stream of what the world around us says we should believe and we should value. But sadly, our condition, it just doesn't end with that. Look what he says next in the text. We were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. we not just simply followed the world's ways of thinking. Paul comes here and says, you followed Satan's lead. Now that seems a little bit, you know, for some people, the idea of the devil, you know, the idea that we were following the leadership of, of Satan, some demonic force in the world. Like that seems a little bit medieval. It even potentially sounds ridiculous you know, people like to to kind of poo-poo the idea, that's a theological term, by the way, <laughs> the, the idea of there being a a real evil spiritual force in the world, yet the Bible says it's true. Satan is alive and he is active. And the reason why Paul says that in our past, we were not only dead cut off from God following the ways of this world, but also following the lead of Satan is because there's something else about us that I don't know if we know. We were made to be ruled. We weren't made to be kings and queens on our own. We were created to look to God's reign and God's rule over us and to accept his ways. That's who we were made to be. So you take one king off of our throne, who we're to look to, by our very nature, we're looking to be led by something else. And in the absence of God, Satan steps right in. This passage does not say that in our past we were worshippers of Satan. Big difference here, all right? It doesn't say that people are going around and you know we're making you know animal sacrifices to the devil. He says you followed Satan's lead. And there's two reasons why you and I know that this is actually. True. Think about this. Two things that we know about Satan are this. One, the scriptures call him the father of what? Lies. Oh good, you know your Bibles. (laughs) He's called the father of lies. The second thing that we know about Satan is he actively is seeking the destruction of everything that God created. So he's the father of lies and he seeks to destroy what God has made. All around us, there is evidence that apart from God, when we are dead in our trespasses and sins, we are following the lead of Satan, why? Because look at what the world believes. And I'm here to tell you that the world doesn't come up with these things on its own. Satan is the father of lies. The idea that a man can actually be a woman is a lie, it's not true. The idea that marriage, which God has made, can exist between people of the same sex, notice what Satan does. He doesn't say marriage isn't real, marriage doesn't exist. He comes and he says, no, marriage can actually be this thing, when God's word says that marriage is only uh, between what? A man and a woman. He's the father of what? Lies. We're not that creative. (laughs) This is the leadership of Satan. And as he institutes these lies and and puts these things forth in our culture, do you know what happens? We see the destruction of what God has made to be good. You wanna know another lie? The idea, that an unborn baby is not an actual human being. We didn't come up with that on our own. That is the father of lies, bringing about ideas. And when people accept those things and go along with that, they're following the leadership of Satan. Satan isn't, you know, this devil with horns and a tail and a pitchfork being like, "Ah, ah," you know, like trying to scare us. He's trying to take apart the beauty of God's creation. And when these ideas are presented in our world, the idea that parents do not have the responsibility to raise up their children, when God's word says that is what is true. When, when, when we get ideas that, no, we gotta separate the family and you're incapable of doing it. This is the leadership of Satan on full display. So I believe it. When Paul says, man, when in your past you were dead, you followed the ways of this world, you followed the leadership of, of Satan, I don't believe that he's lying. And, and, and then he says one more thing. Look at what he says here. There's, there's one more thing that we followed. Again, showing us that our death, our separation from God and being cut off from the life that we were created to live doesn't mean that we were inactive. Look at what he says in verse three. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. It's not just the value system of the world that guides us or the leadership of Satan we follow. Paul says that we lived here in the passions of our flesh. And this word flesh It's used throughout the New Testament. On rare occasions, it talks about the organic material that's our skin and our flesh. But in this passage and in the majority of the New Testament, it doesn't refer to our physical selves. Instead, flesh refers to our natural desires corrupted by sin. Our natural desires corrupted by sin. You see, God created all human beings with natural, physical desires desires. Do you know that? There's this idea that's existed for a very long time. The ancients talked about it, how the spiritual realm is good. The spirit is good. The physical part of you, that's what? Bad. We got to throw off the physical. We got to embrace the spiritual. And that's not true. God created all of us to be both physical and spiritual and in our physicality to ultimately have natural desires. Can you think about the natural desires that God has given us? that aren't bad? I mean, what what might some of them be? I'm just curious. Can anybody think of a natural desire that you have that's not bad? You can say, what's that? Food, Food, hunger, right? Love, companionship, thirst, a desire for sleep. There are these natural desires that that we have that in and of themselves are not wrong. They've been created, they've been given to us by God, but when you are cut off from the giver of those natural desires, then what happens, as Paul says here, is that our natural desires that we have, they take preeminence in our lives and they become the driving force so that, as Paul says here, you wanna remember your past? You wanna know what you were like? We did, Paul says, what our desires wanted. God, the creator of our natural desires. We're to look at those things that he's given us and those desires that we have, and we're able to look at those and say, ultimately, those things come to us from God and our ultimate satisfaction, it's not found in in fulfilling our physical desires, but instead, in looking to the one who gives us those desires. But man, when God's out of the picture, then you're guided by, you're driven by, whether you know it or not, your physical desires. In fact. I came across this quote, which really stood out to me. Uh, Margaret Sanger, uh, who was a person that had a lot of problems, not a good woman. Ultimately, here's what she ultimately said about our natural desires. She said, "Destroy the cruel morality of self-denial and sin. Remove the constraints and prohibitions which now hinder and, re- and uh, hinder the release of inner energies." and most of the larger evils of society will perish. She says that the problem with society is the suppression of our natural desires. If you just simply go after whatever you desire, that's where peace and rest and hope are are found. Jeez. God says the exact opposite of that. We were not made to be driven by our desires. We were not made to be led by the devil. We were not made to be led by the thoughts of this world. And the result of all of this, look at what Paul says at the end of verse three. He's like, if you think it can't get any worse, if your past can't get any worse, look what he says. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's not just that you were dead. Now he comes and he says, we were condemned. As those who are off the past, path who had missed the mark, who were following the ways of the world, who were being led by the devil, who were ultimately living according to the flesh, that put us in a state where we were under the wrath of God. A lot of people have a hard time with God being a God of wrath, meaning that He levels His righteous judgment against the wicked, that God would punish people for their wrongdoing. But God's wrath is not like your wrath and my wrath. His anger is holy, his anger is right, and his anger is pure. There's not one person, according to these verses, who because of their past, does not deserve the judgment of God. And do you see what he says? We were by nature, what? Objects of wrath. By nature, do you know what he's saying there? From the beginning, from our birth, from our very core. This is who we were. This is the judgment that we rightly deceive. receive. And we were like the rest of mankind. There's not one man, woman, or child who, whose past is not being described here. This is our condition at some point in our past. Church, you can't sugarcoat it. The situation in our past was absolutely Wretched, And if this was all that Paul had to say on the matter, we would say, why are you bringing up my past? There's nothing good about this. And there isn't. But he brings it up because of what he says next. Because there's something else in our past. Two things that he wants to ultimately also remind us of. Two things that he wants to draw to our attention so that we won't miss it. Yes, you were dead. Yes, you were condemned. Verse 4, but... God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, what happens? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been what? Saved. Praise God. Praise the Lord for that. Those two words right there, Yes, you were dead. Yes, you were condemned. Yes, you were hopeless. The the flesh, the world, and the devil, they had a hold on you. But how does verse 4 start? But God. Write that down. It's right there in the middle of your notes. But God. You look back upon your past, and you see it for what it is. You recognize that you were dead. But in the midst of all of that, there was something else in our past. But God. But God. Paul lets us know in verse four, if you are a Christian, your past is not only about death and condemnation, your past is also about salvation. Salvation. It's about the intervention of God bringing dead people and making them alive. This is something that happened in our past. We said earlier, as I talked about my neighbor, that it was only through the outside intervention of something else that dead things can be made alive. And Paul says that's exactly what happened here. God acted, he says in verse four, on our behalf and made us alive. Yes, you were dead, but there was a moment, there was a time when God acted on your behalf and my behalf and proclaims this glorious truth. He made us alive. God brought the dead to life. And I love that one of the ways, I don't even have time to get into the fullness of it. John, in, in, in his epistle, in 1 John 3, 8, I, I love this. Listen to this. He says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. So next time your kid sins, you can look at them and you can say, you are of the devil, right there. (laughs) Don't, that's probably not, not good. But that's what he says. I mean, that's what he says. He says, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. This is 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? See, this is how... Jesus Christ is able to make us alive. We were already condemned, Jesus says, but he destroys the work of the devil, of sin and of flesh. He comes and he makes us alive. And church, how does he do it? How does verse six say it comes about? Listen to this. This is remarkable. By grace, you have been what? What? Saved. What's being saved? From death to life, it's all of grace. God acting to save us was not because we deserved it, earned it, or merited it. We're going to get into this in greater detail next week, but I couldn't let this go by without saying. God acted on our behalf, and he made us alive, and it was all of grace. It was unmerited favor. And so, yes, every single one of us, our past reveals something about us. If we're to, like that tourist couple, look back at that picture, in the initial thing that we see, we see that in our past, there's the ravaging consequences of sin. Anyone apart from Christ, that was their condition. But our past also holds another story. It shows the immeasurable power of God bringing the dead to life. And so what we can say Is that today, our identity, our status is as those who are alive. That's what he's saying. I want you to show you your past because in your past you're dead. But God makes you what? Alive. And so, has anything changed between now and then? No, today we're still what? Alive. We are alive, which means, remember what it meant to be dead. Cut off from God and from his ways. Now, we're not cut off. We are brought near to God. We are able to walk in His ways. This is what's being said here, and it's all of grace. The first thing that Paul wants us to see is that God acted on our behalf and He made us alive. But then he says something else, look back at the text. Again, verse four, five, and six. But God, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And, He's not done. And there's more to the story and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Your past isn't simply about being brought from death to life. Your past is also about the fact that God gave us a new life. My neighbor, who was hit by the car, pronounced dead, and ultimately shocked back to life. The rest of that story is that he was never the same. Significant physical injuries had happened to him, scarring on his body and on his face. Even his mind and his memory at time were impacted by it. Jesus said, man, you were dead, and I brought you back to life. But do you see what verse six says? It's not just that I brought you back to life, brought you to God, I gave you a new life. I raised you, I seated you. You have become royalty, you've become joined to God. Look at this glory that you and I now in heaven, we've been raised with him in the past and seated with him in the heavenly places. Church, I don't know how else to say it, but this, we traded the electric chair for a throne. I mean, that is what has happened to us. We're walking to our condemnation and our judgment. We see the electric chair out there, and then can you imagine somebody on death row coming in and saying, well, now you're freed. Oh, wonderful, but I'm broke, I'm penniless. No, 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 actually, I've made you the king of England now. You're not just dying, but you've been made the king. This is what has happened to us. This is what's so glorious. Look at your past, behold it, look at your death, look at your condemnation, but don't stop there because but God intervened. And when you see this, two things. First, God gets all the praise for your salvation. Give God all the credit, all the praise for your salvation. Paul says, if you're not moved to praise, if you're not moved to worship, then you don't actually know what happened in the past Keep no credit for yourself, no praise for yourself. God is the one who brought you from death to life, so praise to his name. The Queen of England said, I hope that sometime someone will tell them who they actually met. Why? Because she knew that they would be moved to excitement and joy. Oh my goodness, we met the Queen of England. How awesome was that? You move from the electric chair to a throne because God did something that you could not do. And so praise goes to him every day. And Paul wants us to live in this and he wants us to embrace this. He gets the praise church for our salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this, not of your own doing. It's the gift of what? God, not by works so that no one can What? Boast. He says that, as we'll see in greater detail next week, because our condition from death to salvation is not of anything good or right within ourselves, but all of grace. So he gets all the praise. Why are we here this morning? Why do we take the time to gather together? Why do we say that we exist to glorify God? Ephesians 4 says, but God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, has made us alive. Are you alive today? Are you alive? Do you do really, like Paul says, look to your past to help understand your present condition. You are alive. at least I hope you're alive. See, because I have to assume, although my dad taught me I shouldn't, (laughs) because of what God's word says, not all are alive. Some are still dead in their trespasses and sins. And so I hope that some of you, even in hearing what it's like for a dead person, that they're bound to the ways of this world, that they're following the lead of Satan, that they are bound up needing the desires of the flesh to be fulfilled in order to be satisfied. Like if that's a picture that's painted of you, then God's word says you need to be brought from death into life. And there's only one way that you can do it. Ask for God to save you. Call upon Christ even now and say, I recognize that I am dead in my trespasses and sins and I need to be forgiven. And the only way that I can be moved from death to life is if you do the work because I can't do it. I have to be raised with Christ. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is the promise and you will be saved. If that's you here today, join with the rest of us who are alive. But there's one final thing. This really hit me, and I'm gonna close with this. Give God all the praise for your salvation, but even with what I just did, give the world grace. Give the world grace. Dave, what do you mean, give the world grace? If the Bible is true, and it is, think about what that means for those who are not alive today. If you're not alive in Jesus Christ, then you are what? Dead. And can dead people do anything other than what the scriptures say they do here? They can only follow the course of this world. They can only follow the lead of Satan. They're driven by their desires. And guess what? That described us at one point. And so when you see the world acting in these ways believing the lies living according to their desires following the cultural consensus church don't be shocked instead be a people who understand grace why would you expect a dead person to do anything other than what they're doing and you didn't change from being dead to life because all of a sudden you got smarter, you got better, and you became more powerful. No, you went from death to life because of what? Grace. I'm not saying that we condone and accept the ways of the world, but we, of all people, should have compassion and mercy on the dead. And we should be like the second round of EMTs who came to my neighbor. So many times, we're like the first round of EMTs who look at those people, nah, they're beyond it. They're dead, leave them be. Praise God for my neighbor that somebody else came and said, whoa, wait a second, let's give this a try. Church, that's us. Give grace to the world, how? by bringing the message and the hope of the gospel. Only and ultimately, God is the one who can draw them from death to life. But man, we should only be known as the people, as recipients of grace, who show grace. May God help us. Let's pray. Lord, my prayer this week has been a very simple prayer because it's been the prayer that we saw last week. And that is, Lord, that we would know you more that we would know what it means to have our inheritance in you, to know the power that you have worked in us, to know the immeasurable riches and the present blessings that we have, Father. You invite us to pray that because even as we see in this text, we need to be reminded of these things. We need to draw our hearts into these things. We need to see how these things impact us on a day-to-day basis. And I thank you, Father, that your promise is as we call upon you, as we look to your spirit, Lord, that you help us to see, believe, and understand these things. And so, Father, for those of us who have been brought from death to life, may our lives demonstrate that you get all of the praise and may our lives be overflowing with the grace that we have received. And that, Father, if there's any here in this room today who see themselves as condemned, recognized by the description of this text that they themselves are dead, Lord, that they would do what you have called them to, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so that they might be saved. To you be the praise and the glory both now and forever And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.